Kevin Magnussen is back in Formula One, and this time he feels different. Losing F1, having closed the chapter on F1 fully, mentally, makes it a little less scary now. I hope I can have many years in Formula One from now on, but, but I'm not scared anymore. I don't think it's good to be scared. Kevin lost his seat at Haas at the end of 2020. There was disbelief, the Dane with driving in his DNA, who delighted McLaren with a podium on his debut in 2014 and had been a solid point scorer in a midfield car, was out of Formula One. The big dream, what you actually literally dream about in the night, has been winning in Formula One. And last year I had to realise that that wasn't going to happen and, and come to peace with that. But then... Days before the first race of 2022, Kevin's phone rang. Haas needed a driver and they wanted him back. I said yes immediately because I could feel in my uh, stomach. I got all these butterflies and I was so excited. All these emotions and feelings that go back so far, you know, to my childhood of dreaming of Formula One and all that. It just all came back and I was so excited. Magnussen, a brilliant fifth on his return with the Haas team. Yellow, yellow, yellow. Oh man, thank you. Kevin, that was Thanks. some Viking comeback. After that fantastic fifth place in his first race back and another points finish in Saudi, Kevin's making a comeback to F1 Beyond the Grid with me, Tom Clarkson. You're about to hear one of the most frank and honest conversations I've ever had on this podcast. Kevin talks about how it felt to lose his place in Formula One, how his attitude to life and racing changed during his year away, and why his return feels very different. Family comes up a lot. Kevin and his wife Louise celebrated the arrival of daughter Laura in January 2021. Plus we chat about racing with his father Jan, his relationship with Haas teammate Mick Schumacher and Kevin's long-term aims now he's back in Formula One. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Kevin, it's wonderful to see you again and to have you back on F1 Beyond the Grid. Does the comeback feel real now? Not, not quite. I mean, sometimes um, I still wake up and, uh, and uh, think about all this stuff that happened in such a short time. And, uh, and it just kind of feels uh, surreal because, um, you know, I did, I did have a, a year out where I fully thought that... Uh, my F1 adventure was was over, and uh, and then it came back in such a, a you know surprising way. So uh, no, I, I still feel like it's it's a little bit of a a dream. You seem determined to enjoy this. Well, I mean, it's not like I'm I'm trying to enjoy it. It's pretty uh, it's pretty easy, <laughs> you know. I, I feel very lucky. I feel very fortunate to to have this opportunity again and. F1 has been my dream all my life and uh, you know I had I had six seasons of Formula 1 um with a break in the middle so seven years of of uh, of being an F1 driver if you want and um, I thought that was already very fortunate and and cool and you know kind of a, an an achievement and then you know I, I came out as I said at the end of 2020 I lost lost my drive at Haas and I was I was kind of looking back after that and and you know, got to a place where I was able to feel very lucky, lucky instead of instead of disappointed, not to be able to to do it anymore. I was more, you know, trying to really see it from the point of view that I was so 
fortunate to even have got the opportunity in the first place rather than focus on the fact that I wasn't in anymore I was just feeling very happy that I that I was able to do it so for those people listening who don't know the story can you just remind us how this drive came about well I saw the news that Mazepin had lost his drive where were where in the world were you at this particular moment I was in Denmark um you know when when that news came out but but I didn't think any anything of it I, you know I could have I could have easily sent an SMS or called up Günther or something like that to to put in my name but I wasn't even considering it would be a possibility I lost my drive at the end of 2020 and I I knew the kind of the the, the background and the and the reasons for it and and uh, you know I just didn't think that I would be uh did did you leave on bad terms at the end of 2020 is that why you didn't think of texting no i didn't i i no not at all you know when i when i when i lost the drive in 2020 i i um i didn't leave on bad terms i was i i understood that the team had to do it and and why they had to do it and you know i didn't feel like the team uh let me go because uh i didn't perform well enough or anything like that in fact they you know Günther ensured me that that wasn't the reason and so you know i i, I could understand that uh, you know this this world uh, this this sport um is a, is a complex one and sometimes you know hard decision has to be made you know for the for the best of the team and uh, and that was the case in 2020 and you know i didn't take it personally i i i was uh, again thankful that Gunther and Jean had given me, me the opportunity they they did in uh, in 2017 when they took me on the team in the first place and uh, you know I've, i had a great time in in those four seasons and and they treated me really well you know and uh, they they were the first team to really give me a home in formula One, like a, a place where i could that where, where i felt at home and um um yeah it was just very grateful for that and mm. and then didn't as i said i didn't take it personally uh, and we left on good terms uh, i guess that was part of the reason why maybe this time around it was it was possible to do because i could have easily taken it personal i think you know in the past some drivers you know and i also myself i have left on bad terms because uh, whatever you feel like you haven't been treated fairly or whatever but um, that wasn't the case uh, with with Gina Gunter you've seen the news you're at home in denmark with the family you haven't sent the sms so what what happens next yeah so a couple of days go past after the news came out and then uh, a couple of people like in the f1 paddock were texting me so are you coming is it you you next or whatever you know and uh, you know I said, again i didn't i didn't even reply to those guys because i was like nah that's that's not not going to happen and also you know i was actually I was actually in a good place, you know. I'd I'd, uh, I'd had a fantastic year last year out of F1. Missed driving these cars, missed missed racing in F1, but I was in a good place. We had a a kid in in January. Uh, we, my wife and I moved back to Denmark after uh, 2020, and uh, you know I hadn't lived in Denmark full, fully uh, since I was a kid, basically, and. And all of that was was really cool. I had loads of time with my family, and you know, did did the the IMSA Championship, which I actually really enjoyed, just racing race cars, you know, uh, for fun almost. You know, not not that I didn't take it seriously, but it was 
it was just for the fun of it. And I really enjoyed getting back to basics with motorsport. So I was in a great place and, uh, and as I said, didn't think much of it. And But then Gunther called me a couple of days after. And, uh, you know, when I saw his name on my phone, you know, I, I kind of knew what was uh, what it might be about. And, you know, I answered and, and he uh, he just asked me if I wanted to come back. And, you know, that was a big, big surprise. I said yes immediately. I hadn't even, you know, thought about it. I, I had contracts with other teams and stuff, so I didn't really know if it would be possible at all. But I just said yes, because I could feel in my stomach that uh, I got all these butterflies and I was so excited, you know, all these emotions and feelings that I'd, that go back so far, you know, to my childhood of dreaming of Formula One and all that. It just all came back and I was so excited. So then I said yes to him and uh, hung up. And uh, obviously there was a few things that we needed, that I needed to sort out. Uh, first thing I did was call my wife. What, what did she say? Well, she, uh, I went home and uh, and talked to her about it, told her, and she was, um, she was excited for me, but also, nervous because well it's a she knows how how many days you are away and uh, you know as, as i said we just had a kid also and uh that's gonna she's gonna be alone with with her a lot now and but you know so that that was her worries initially but she was like you know you gotta you gotta do it there's no no way you're not gonna do it uh, so we, you know we had a bit of of a of a conversation about uh you know, just you, you gotta, you gotta take all these things into account, even though you feel so excited as a racing driver. I'm also a dad and uh, and a husband. So it was important for me that she was on board too. And she was, we, we're going to stay in Denmark and, you know, we're going to do it a little differently to the last time where I was living in, in England. You know, again, it, it just, uh, it feels very cool to have this opportunity and, and, well, we had our daughter last year and I and I kind of felt a little sad that I wasn't able to connect those two big things in my life, you know, Formula One and, and my daughter. They had never overlapped and I and I kind of felt a little sad about that. And, uh, you know, I, I had those thoughts before I got this opportunity and now, now I'm able to really connect those two things and, uh, you know, my daughter is going to be able to be at the racetrack and I'm going to I had her there in Bahrain for the for the first race when I came back, and it was just. Uh, was that quite emotional? Having, yeah, having both the girls there. Yeah, absolutely. It was really emotional. I got in, in the car. You get in and you get strapped in, and I looked in the mirror, and uh, and I could see Laura at the back of the garage. You know, she was there, <laughs> being really excited, and she had no idea what was going on, but she was uh, just excited because every, there was so much stuff happening, and you know that was that was kind of emotional to to see you know my daughter from the from the side mirror of the Formula One car. She had a seat fit while she was there. I saw as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was doing my seat fit, and uh, Louise came. My wife came into the garage with with Laura, and Laura sees me, and uh, and it's like she wants to uh, get in the car with me. And uh, so I sat there with her and doing my pedals and stuff, and she's you know doing all the switches on the steering wheel and stuff so uh, it was really cool oh it's lovely isn't it you said yes to Gunter without knowing how competitive this car was going to be and I'm quite fascinated that you did say yes so quickly with no indication of performance well he he did kind of give me some indications of how much work and effort had gone into the car and you know he he didn't say that it would be this good. I, he just said that, you know, they 
made a big effort and that they had kind of you know sacrificed at least last year fully um to focus on on this year's car and and even also the year before so you know i know, I, I know what the team can do when when they you know w- I know what they can do when they when they do it right. I think in in the past, what we've seen in in 2018, the car was superb. In 19, it was also kind of good. It had some potential because in qualifying we could be like top five sometimes, and then we had this problem where in the race it would eat up the tires. But you know, I, I know the potential the team has. I felt uh, like there there might be uh, an opportunity to to get back to that. Um, given that they'd worked so hard on on this year's car for so long, it's a blank sheet of paper. It's not. It's a fully new concept for for all the teams. Okay. And how quickly after driving it did you realize that it was a it was a really good car? Was when you when you drive a Formula One car in in winter testing, you can't compare lap times with other teams because it. So you, know, you going you, you fastest never... the first time you drive it? Try and ignore that. <laughs> yeah, well, you can't ignore that, of course. And and as I said, you you can't really know. But I had a I had a good feeling that it would be kind of good because we didn't run like a fully low fuel all all out lap. Uh, which, by the way, I I never understood why teams do that. You know, because uh, anyway, we're gonna find out, you know, in one week <laughs> where everyone is. So why not just go? flat out everyone but anyway so I had, I had a I had a feeling and the car felt good you know you can feel when the car is well put together and that it didn't have any sort of issues in balance it wasn't difficult to drive it, it was predictable and, and nice to drive and that's that's all, always a good kind of indication it's not always you know it doesn't always mean that it's going to be super fast some cars are slow and easy to drive but um at least it's it's a good in- indication. So, yeah, uh, it was good to have that P1 time. Um, and, and as I said, we were anxious to know what the other cars were running because we thought that might be pretty good. Now, from a driving point of view, what's been the hardest thing for you to get reused to? There's not really anything uh, hard to get used to. It's more uh, the, the hardest thing has been my neck because... Um, you can't really train your neck it do, you can train your neck but it doesn't it doesn't get you fit to drive an f1 car you can do all the training you want on your neck and and i've done that in the past and you get in the car and it, it just hasn't made any difference <laughs> you know you're still completely messed up after the first day in the car so getting back the, these last these first two races have been quite tough on on the neck. And are these cars more physical than two years ago? No, thankfully not. They're they're a little less physical because the corner speeds are a little little slower, and that just helps. It's not a lot slower. It's a, only a little bit, and that just helps a, a little. I'm I'm glad I'm not getting in one of the old ones. You know, we're talking about getting reused to things. Are you having to extract the lap time in a different way? With these new cars, you know, 40 kilos heavier, different aero. Are you having to do things differently in the cockpit? Mm, not not so much. I mean, there's a little bit because the tyres are a little different and they um, they require slightly slightly different driving style. You can't combine the Gs as much as the, with the old ones. But um, 
that's okay. I mean, I, I think that's not such a a big change. Um, but I think it's a good thing for me, having been out for a year, that that we've got these new cars. So everyone is kind of everyone is starting uh, not from zero, but at least you know f- from a step back, uh, having to learn things. Going back to the physical preparation, then how long will it take you? Do you think to get back up to to where you should be? I reckon you know probably another two months. Now I had one month of of being an F1 driver again, and uh, you know being full fully into training again, and uh, you know living the F1 uh, life where you you know train every day and and focus on your fitness not that i didn't train last year at all but it was a lot less than than when i was an f1 driver you know i kind of just did the training that i needed to to be fit for for sports car driving and uh, coming from formula one into sports cars especially my neck was like no problem because uh, those cars are a lot slower than formula one cars and always for racing drivers you need to be fit fitness helps you there's no question it's not like you you can't be a good footballer if you're not fit that just doesn't happen as a racing driver you, you can drive to a very good level and be absolutely unfit that does happen so it's it, it's kind of a weird sport like that but fitness does give you an edge but in sports cars as any race car it's still the neck you know the neck is the the point where you get tired the most and and i just had this really strong neck from formula one so as I said, I had I had a bit of a break from training last year, and uh, and I regret that now. <laughs> but what, does a fit body mean a fit mind? It does. Yeah, it does make you better. Uh, it's just that this sport, you can do well and not be fit. Well, you shouldn't. You shouldn't not be. Well, Kev, fit, look at you. All right. Well, yeah. you, you know, you qualified seventh, finished fifth, or you know. Yeah, but that's that's the thing, and and um, you know, but but. In a couple of months' time, I'll be yeah. I'll be uh, fully fit, and I, it's going to be. I did better. want to ask you about Saudi. Um, very fast corners, a net killer. How did you survive that race? How did you get through fifty laps without your head falling off? In qualifying, my neck gave up completely, and I had it not not because like I was not because I was tired. I was tired, but that, that you know, then you, you get back in the garage, you have a little rest, and you can go again for one lap at least, you, you're fine. But I had this nerve that went into like a spasm and I had super stiff neck, I couldn't move, and it was so, so painful. Uh, so in the corners, because of pain, I just couldn't hold my head and I couldn't control the car then, because if, you, if your head is like flapping around, then you can't feel what the car is doing, you can't handle the car. So, in Q3, I just, you know, didn't get anything out of of the car in Q3. Uh, and that's why we qualified 10th. And I think the car was super good. I, I think because it was so close from like P9 to P5, there was only like uh, two tenths from P9 to, to P5. And I was three tenths off P9. So I, I think we could have been, you know, fighting for P5 with, with the car if I'd been fit enough. But uh I wasn't, and and in the race it it was a little better because the again you you get full full fuel. Uh, it's a little slower. You're looking after your tires, so you're not fully on the limit uh, everywhere on the track. So it's a little more predictable. You know, you, you in qualifying you need to be right on the limit every centimeter of the track. So you really got to feel what the car is doing. Whereas in the race you you got to stay a little slightly under the limit to look after your tires and that just means the car is is more 
predictable. It doesn't oh suddenly snap or something. So a little easier to control and you can rest your head a little easier. Pedro De La Rosa told me recently that he had this problem at Jerez once when he was testing for McLaren. And he ended up wedging his head so tightly in the cockpit that it couldn't move. And he did the hands up really tightly. <laughs> so under braking, his head couldn't move. And then he just wedged his head in so he couldn't move. Right. That was his solution to yeah. the problem. But That is a, that is a solution. <laughs> but again, you just you can't feel what the car is doing so well. You kind of have some of your balance or it's like you, as soon as you fix your, your head, if it's not free, then you don't, you can't feel it what the car is doing as well mm. and you 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 just go slower if you can't hold your head up straight and and against the forces then um, you can't be fast and you were still razor sharp in the race that battle with lewis hamilton and everything else you had going on so yeah um we we, we had good pace and and i got i got used to driving with my head out uh you know during the race so by the end i don't i don't think i was losing a lot of lap time you know the IndyCar drivers do it at, at Indy 500. They they lean their head and they they have great feeling for the car. So I think you you can get used to it. So maybe it's just like it feels different and 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 you need to get used to it. So mm. and that that happened in the race. I I felt fast at the end. Let's talk about the team. How much has it changed in the months that you've been away? Does it still feel the same? Yeah, it feels it feels uh, the same. They they've got. Um, some new people that I that I didn't know. It's in a very good place at the moment. You know, everyone is so excited and relieved to be back. I, f I feel like everyone feels like the team is back. You know, to where they where they should be. Um, it's been a tough couple of years uh, for the team. They've not had a good car, and uh, it's tough when you don't when you know you're not fighting for anything. And it motivation is can be tough to to keep up. Uh, when 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 the car just isn't competitive, and you know that the team isn't developing on the aerodynamics, and I, th I feel like they're so excited and and happy to to be back where we are right now. And new teammate in Mick Schumacher. What are your first impressions of him? First impressions are very good. He's um, he's a super nice guy, you know, very down to earth and um, sort of very very polite and you know. It's, it's good with everyone he's he's uh, you know everyone likes him mm. and um you know immediately he's been very open and um he's he's very keen to learn you know he's asking questions and um you don't always have that between drivers it's sometimes they're too proud or whatever so don't want to work together and and at least ask questions it's kind of maybe some drivers are scared of showing weakness or whatever but Mick doesn't really care about that he just wants to learn and I feel like in in the debriefings his uh, his feedback is good and he doesn't make excuses you know he's very honest with the team if there's uh, something that like his mistakes or whatever he's he's open about that and you know not trying to find excuses and so I feel like his attitude is is very good and um he's obviously very talented he won F3 won F2 um, before F1 so I feel he really deserves to be here it's, it's kind of tough because he has this surname you know his dad is uh, the biggest Formula 1 driver ever and uh, some people may think that he is here just because he's a Schumacher but you know um, he really has what it takes to be here he's he's done what it 
what what was needed maybe even more like some drivers got here and didn't win f3 like myself i finished second in f3 and you know uh, lots of other drivers in f1 didn't win everything before so yeah he um he's a very talented driver and uh, i think he's he's gonna do well and are you relishing the team leader role i don't know if i if i really see it like that i mean um, I'm the most experienced in the team of the, of, of me and Mick, and um, I'm trying. To, you know, I'm aware of that, and I'm trying to make use of it, and um, you know, help team help the team um, with with my experience. Um, but it's not something I, you know, I don't feel entitled to any uh, anything because I'm I'm the most experienced. I just try and do the best I can for the team, really. It must be very rewarding for you to to be the the person that the team is 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 looking at for guidance this early in the season because of that experience. That's almost like a new thing for you, a new a new experience. Yeah, I mean, it's also it's also an extra pressure, I guess. Yeah. But again, I feel like I feel like Mick is is also good. You know, he although he only has one year of experience, he's he's an intelligent guy, and um, you know, it's not like that the team doesn't listen to make at all you know it's it's still very balanced it's not as big a, a difference uh, as 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 you may think um you know i i just try and do my thing um i try and be very open to make I, f- I don't feel like i need to hide anything you know i feel like, like is he I'm, the first teammate that you've had that he's, relationship he's certainly that yeah close I, w- relationship. I would say so um somehow this time around i don't feel like so i don't feel stressed about anything really I, I, if I can help him that helps the team and um, and that's good for me so I, I I feel like that's a little different this time I'm more relaxed and uh, you know if he if he goes better than me because I've helped him out so much then I can then learn from him and you know that will then take me to another level and that's how you you build up you know and and, and bring bring each other forward and, and that's that's what I hope will happen Okay, Meg, you do seem incredibly relaxed. Is it age? Is it parenthood? Is it life experience? Just what do you attribute it to? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's because I haven't really, it hasn't really sunk in <laughs> that, I'm, that I'm back. But um, I think it's it's a combination of, of all the things that happened, you know, in, in that year. I, I feel like the year I had out, it, it felt like 10 years, you know, it, it didn't, it felt like so much stuff happened in just like a year and a half time. Um, when I got back in the car, it didn't really feel like I'd been out for very long, but you know, when, when I look at all the stuff that ha- happened outside of the track, it feels like a long time. Um, and I, you know, I think having a kid certainly gives you, it, it moves around on all your priorities in love, life a little bit, I think. Uh, suddenly some, like Formula One is is still super important, but it's not the most important thing in your life. Something else is, is more important. Like your your family is more important and the life outside of F1, you know, related to anything with your family, that life is, is the most important. And, you know, before it, it wasn't, you know, Formula One was absolutely the most important thing. And I thought like happiness was one to one related to to F1. Um, at least that's how it felt, you know. And if 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 it wasn't going well on track, then like all like my whole life was <laughs> misery. And and it's not like that anymore, you know. I I could like 
it feels very different. I feel. Does feel that like, make you uh, a better racing driver? Yeah, I think so. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um, it certainly feels like I'm able to to enjoy it more. You know, I've, I've, I feel like it's all just like a bonus. You know, it's all like just a, a gift somehow. Um, and I can just have fun and I don't know. It feels like, and also I think maybe losing F1, like having that slip away and and uh, having closed, you know, closed the, the chapter on F1 fully mentally, um, then makes it a little less scary now you know I've, I've lost it and and i felt fine with it you know and now i'm not scared of losing it i, I hope i'm not, i can have many years in formula one from now on but um but i'm not scared anymore and i think i don't think it's good to be scared i think it's way better to just be happy and grateful and then you know not have any fear and um and that's kind of where I am now. I'm I'm very relaxed, and I know I know what I'm able to do. You know, I I feel like I know my capabilities, and I and I feel confident with that. And and so you know, I'm, there's not anything that I'm really worried about. If if that isn't good enough, then so be it. You know. And was it difficult to wean yourself off Formula One last year? Did you, while we were racing? Did you find yourself looking at the TV going, oh, I wish I was there? Or, or did you quickly move on? No, I very quickly moved on. And as I said, I was I was able to very quickly kind of uh, look back at Formula 1 and be grateful rather than like missing it and feeling miserable about not being there anymore. I, I felt like just actually I, I, I was able to feel way happier after um, after getting out than, than when I was in it. Because when I was in it, I didn't feel so grateful. I was more like disappointed in the last two seasons of of not being where I wanted to be in F1. And you know, we we had, as I said, we had a very tough season in twenty in twenty twenty, and I wasn't able to appreciate um, F1 as much as I should have. Then when I when I came out, I was able to look back at a Formula One career, and you know, I actually realized that I was so able, so lucky to be able to to get to the sport you know f1 is such a hard place to get to and i was able to get there and i dreamt about getting there from since i was a little child and you know looking at it from the outside made it seem so uh, fantastic that it happened mm. rather than looking back and like feeling bad about not being there anymore so i did I did some TV stuff for the Danish um, TV uh, F1 broadcaster. And, did you enjoy that? And I and I did, yeah, um, yeah. I've, I I thought I had these thoughts like I wonder how it's going to feel to to uh, be talking about this like from the outside, not being one of the drivers. But but it was fine, you know. I, I felt really good about it, and I enjoyed the season. It was an awesome season, and we, uh, you know, uh, I, I enjoyed watching formula one from the outside as a as a fan because i am a fan of formula one and and uh, made made me appreciate the sport from from that perspective also and when your daughter laura laura sorry well uh, it depends <laughs> how you, if you're Danish, you say laura <laughs> but she was born prematurely wasn't she yeah how tough were those early weeks both for you and and wife louise um i mean 
I don't think I realized how bad it can be when when they're premature. I, I had never thought about it. You know, uh, when Louise went into labor, it um, you know I thought, okay, that's that's a little early, isn't it? You know, I didn't I didn't really fully think it all through. Um, so we got to the hospital, and uh, the doctors were telling us that uh, you know what what could happen. Um, when when you give birth this early and and you know I thought oh that's not good and but then it all went so smooth and she came out and she was breathing by herself and screaming and you know all the things like she was she was fine mm-hmm. um, so I didn't I didn't worry about it so much anymore the doctors were happy and uh, yeah she she came a little early but they said she's just gonna develop you know normally but like as if she's two months behind so everything's gonna happen two months late. So I thought two months, you know, it's uh, only in the beginning that's going to be, um, maybe you'll realize it in the beginning, like she's going to start walking or whatever a little later. But she didn't. She, She's walking and she walked when she was 12 months and that's that's fairly normal. So it's there's, there's no problems. Now, quite a few Formula One drivers wait until they finish racing to do the family thing, have kids. Did you ever think along those lines or did you always want to... I kind of thought the same, um, and I'm also I'm I'm super happy that I got this year off out of F1 because it it, it meant that I had a, a year where I was I did nine races last year, so it's not like I wasn't going anywhere, but it was very chilled out and you know although it's like half a Formula One season, it feels like only a tenth of a Formula One season. It feels so so much less and also moving back to Denmark and all that I I had so much more time on my hands and was able to really uh, you know spend so much time with with Louisa and Laura and get to know Laura and you know become a a dad you know get used to that it it was really really cool to have that year and and I wouldn't have been without it you know I'm very very grateful it's it's just so so lucky the way it happened and the racing fan in you must have enjoyed getting to some really iconic racetracks. I mean, what was it? Daytona, Watkins Glen. You did all of those big tracks in America. Did you enjoy that? Massively. You know, and uh, as a kid, my, my dad has been racing in IMSA for 20 years or something. And uh, I've been with him to tracks and, and races in America so many times. And that was also something that I was, it was also a dream of mine, you know, that to, to race at those tracks. When, when I was a kid, I looked up to my dad, some, I still do, but you know, I, I was like at those races, really wanting to try those tracks and, and those race cars. And, and I got to try that part also. It was also like a little bit of a, um, a dream come true. Um, I felt very much like a, a lot of childhood memories going to these tracks and, and it was fun to, to try and, and do it myself. And, um, you know, talk to my dad about it. You know, I, I talked about racing with my dad in a different way than I've ever done because now I really did something that he knows a lot about. And, um, you know, because all the Formula One tracks today are so different to when he drove and the cars are so d- different. And so I've never actually really been able to get so much advice like technical and driving style wise from from my dad uh, whereas in, in IMSA I was able to really always make use of him and his experience so that was really cool and um, and you know I love driving those cars as well they they're very simple and you know uh, the tracks I mean they're, they're crazy tracks and I just love it it's very old school over there you know it's it's um, 
it's fun. You know, they, they have they have a lot of fun. Now, talking about dreams come true, you did L'Amour with the old man. Um, well, first of all, who was quickest? Come on, we all want to know. <laughs> I mean, I my dad hasn't been driving downforce cars for 20 years so actually true was it was quicker. an lmp2 car wasn't it and yeah. he's been in the yeah yeah sure yeah and, and so you're making was, excuses for him Gab. well no <laughs> I, I, I you know i know that my dad was was a super good racing driver he still is you know a super good racing driver if i went in a gt car i wouldn't be as fast as him no doubt about it so it's just that you know i was very used to that i did dpis in in america which are kind of similar to lmp2 cars um but it was cool. It was so, so fun to do, you know, and such a privilege, you know, we were talking about it when we were, we were at Le Mans, like, you know, so cool that we're able to do this, you know, just a dad and his son on a weekend, you know, spending it at Le Mans at the 24 hour race. And, uh, you know, it's such an iconic place. And also, again, it's something that I've watched my dad do for, for 20 plus years. It's, it was a really cool experience. Well, I remember you saying, I think it was in 20, 15 you went to Le Mans as a fan didn't you even go with yeah. <laughs> didn't you go in a camper van or something yes. like that <laughs> yeah I did with, different uh, experience to this yeah, one completely and um, uh, uh, my, my friends I had a couple of friends from Denmark were going down there you know they were doing this road trip down to to Le Mans from Denmark and uh, I just uh, uh, hopped on board and uh, and um, had a full-on normal lemon experience from you know watching from the grandstands and uh, um, that was a really cool experience too so uh, yeah in, in these breaks that I had from Formula One I've had some cool experiences and when you're racing with your dad at Le Mans what did you learn from him as you say he's got so much racing experience 20 years in sports cars of course Quick in Formula One, dominated the junior formulas. Is there one thing that you went, crikey, Dad, you still got it? I would say there's not a lot that I didn't know already about my dad. I think it was it was really interesting to compare data with him because I I know my dad so well as a person, as my dad, but and I you know I've also always looked up to him so much as a racing driver. Um, but I never fully knew what he was like. Like how how does he use his brakes? How how what kind of inputs is he giving in the car? And what what does he like from the car? And like how does he feel stuff that the car is doing? Um, but then we were able to drive the same car in the same session, and then jump out and, and compare data. And and I was able to like see my dad from 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 that side, which for a racing driver, you know, it's very nerdy and and technical, but it's it was interesting to see only in data can you really see the the real racing driver in in a person and and it was so cool to to compare you know my my data to his in in the same car on the same track same tires um so i learned i learned what kind of racing driver and what kind of style you know in in detail that that he has mm. which was so cool something that uh, i'm very glad we got to do Actually, just before we move on, what was his reaction when you rang him and said, "Dad, um, I'm going Formula One racing again"? Oh, he was he was over the moon. You know, uh, he he was like, yeah, so 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 happy. <laughs> he's he he loves it. He he gets so he's so into it. You know, he's watching everything and 
and now he has a lot of time you know he's gonna he's gonna watch all the, all of the sessions whereas in the in the past he was he was very busy with racing himself but um now he's gonna come to many races and uh, that's also a new situation he's he's never had had time you know so i, I think he, we're gonna see him at the track a little more now let's look ahead at the remainder of this year what can you achieve with Haas? Is a podium a realistic goal? It's certainly a dream. I think um, I think about it quite a lot. <laughs> we are in the fight to be the best team after the three big ones. And if you're that, then you're the seventh car on the grid, you know, if, if everything is normal. So it doesn't take that many cars to have problems to uh, to then get a podium and sometimes mercedes look like at least in the beginning of the season they're not they're not going to be so far ahead of us so it, it wouldn't take a lot of luck i don't think we can drive onto the podium just by pure pace but um you know last year especially we saw many many teams get on the podium that weren't regular podium finishes i think it's a realistic it's not fully unrealistic to dream about it i don't think you can expect it because uh, we're not fast enough to get there just on pure pace, as I said. But I'm dreaming about it, and I'm, I'm, I would, I'm putting my money on it. And Kev, do you think with the cost cap now, is there any reason why Haas can't stay in where it is in the competitive order? Um, well, there's less reason. You know, the, the big teams are not going to be able to just fire resources at it, and, you know, um, it's going to be more equal. So I hope it's, Formula 1 is certainly a better environment for for the smaller teams now than it was and um, you know having started this good it, that's certainly just a very very positive thing because you know a few things are going to be better for, for the sm- for small teams like us and um, it's going to be interesting it's one of the things I'm more worried about in this season not that I'm writing it off like I'm not saying we can't keep up but it, I'm really interesting to see how how are we going to be able to co- uh, keep up with with these big teams? They're still very big teams, but again, they don't have the same money, same amount of money that they they did uh, in the past. So, I hope I hope we can keep up, and I and I think so. Well, fingers crossed. Now, you're only 29. You have a multi-year deal with Haas. What are your goals in Formula One now? Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> to win, you know, it's, it's still the same thing. It's just very strange because my big dream in life was to be a Formula 1 world champion first of all a Formula 1 driver but then you know the big dream like you know what what you actually literally dream about in the night has been winning in Formula 1 that was like the fantasy the ultimate uh, ultimate dream and last year you know I had to kind of realize that that wasn't going to happen and and come to peace with that and I and I did and now I'm back, so I have to kind of dig it out again, you know, and, and kind of, and it, it comes very natural, you know, um, but I just have to like pinch myself in the arm sometimes because it's like, oh, I can actually dream about that again. You know, it, it actually still exists and I can still rightfully dream about it. And the fire in you is burning as bright as ever. Yeah, I mean, even even brighter, I would think, <laughs> because it, it happened the way it did. It's very cool. I, I don't know what, I've said it so many times now that how cool it is. It's, it's like, um, 
you know, it's all I can say. It's so cool. I don't know what else to say. How has the news been received in Denmark? It's um, it's been very, very good. I think the Danish F1 fans missed having a, a Danish driver to 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 root for. Um, you know, I saw last year how much they were hoping to get an, a, an another younger, you know, next the next Danish driver into Formula One. They didn't get that. They, they had to get the old one back, but uh, they they love it. And you know, I know I know that the TV figures for the last two races were like the the highest they've ever been. And um, Formula One also grew a lot. I can feel that from being out of uh, one year, coming back. It's very clear that this sport is in a in a at another level you know the attention that the, the sport gets and it's it's grown you know I, I can certainly feel that that's interesting and, and the vegas race in 2023 knowing america as you know it now having spent a year there do you think that'll fly yeah i do the the americans have fallen in love with formula one in the past they didn't they didn't really care about formula one and i think Netflix really changed that. A lot of American people watched that series and it put Formula One on the map there. I think American F1, uh, American motorsport fans uh, are a little different to the rest. You know, they, they have their own motorsport world over there. And it, that's it's kind of unique to, to the rest of the world of motorsport. And um, for a long time, you know, it was only that. You know, NASCAR and IndyCar uh, and, and all of the dirt, dirt track stuff they do over there. So it's impressive that Formula One has been able to like break those barriers and, and enter that that uh, space and um, and win the love of the American F motorsport fans. Hey, well, it's exciting times ahead for you, for Formula One, for Haas. K-Mag, best of luck with it. And thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks, Tom. I've always admired Kevin's attitude to Formula One and to life in general, but never more than now, because he has a perspective that so few drivers have, and we wish him well. Kevin, thanks for coming back on the show. It was great to chat. And if you've enjoyed hearing from K-Mag, you might like to hear our other interviews with people connected to him and Haas, like Gunter Steiner, Mick Schumacher and Roman Grosjean. They're all in our back catalogue. Scroll through and take a listen. Please remember to send in any thoughts or messages that you have about Kevin. Have you seen him race with Haas? Or were you at Le Mans last year to see him partner up with his dad? Let me know. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Which brings me on to what you sent in about Nigel Mansell after last week's show. It's fair to say you loved hearing from Nigel again. Nigel C sent this in. I started watching F1 aged five when Nigel Mansell was the man. In the one season I got to follow him, his intense determination shone through in his driving style, epitomised by his chase of Senna at Monaco, and I owe my own determination in part to Nigel. That's a great message, Nigel, and Nigel will no doubt be thrilled to think that he had such a positive influence on you. And what about this from DR Auto Art? I remember watching the 92 season as a seven-year-old with my dad. He was a massive fan and he's been gone 20 years now. So this brought a tear to my eye, remembering those days cheering Nigel on. He was my first F1 hero. That's a lovely story, DR. Thank you for sharing it. And you're not alone. I think Nigel sparked a lot of F1 passions back then. 
You sent in literally hundreds of messages, but let's end with this one from Dean Cox. I was really disappointed in the Nigel Mansell interview, says Dean because it was way too short. I really enjoyed it. And I was at Silverstone for qualifying and race day in 92, and the crowd was audibly astonished at the gap he built up on the first lap. Well, Dean, Nigel always said the British crowd was worth half a second a lap, and that first lap was proof. We'll have to leave it there, but thank you to everyone who wrote in. We're almost done for this week. Please remember to hit the follow button on your podcast app and turn on episode notifications. That way you'll get our next episode as soon as it's released. And if you like what you've heard, you can write a review or give us a rating as well. Thank you so much for listening. F1 Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 and Audio Boom Studios. Until next time, keep it flat out.